0: Father, this morning we just come to you, Lord. We need to hear from you, Lord. Every one of us. Every one of us. So I pray, Lord, act of will and act of faith. Flesh will die. Because your word is spirit. And your word says the flesh profits Nothing from your word. When I pray, I speak, Lord, every one of us here, our flesh will die. And spiritually we will come alive that we will be able to discern what the Spirit is saying through the word. Because you alone have the words of life. So speak to us this morning, Father. We sit and we wait at your feet. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen, Amen, Amen. Nehemiah two verse thirteen and fourteen. Watch night service Sunday uh, Wednesday night or Tuesday night when we began the new year, we saw the promise, the promise of the Lord and the exhortation of the Lord for twenty twenty was to arise and build. To arise and to build. And Nehemiah said, I have the king's permission. I have the king's protection. And I have the king's provision. To rise up and to build. But remember, unlike them who were building something that was physical, we are building that is spiritual. We are building the very abode, the temple of God. Because God said corporately and individually, every one of us, is the temple of the living God. And that's what we are building. We are not building something for us. We are building something for God so that God can dwell in us. You see, whenever you, when you buy or build an apartment or a house, you give the builder the specifications which you want because it's not he who's going to live there. It is we who are going to live there. So remember, we are building something for God. To dwell. But in Nehemiah 12, 13 and 14, you will see Nehemiah does something. I went out by night through the valley gate to the serpent well and the refuse gate viewed the walls of Jerusalem which have broken down and its gates which had burned with fire. Then I went on to the fountain gate to the king's pool but there was no room for the animal under me to pass. What does it mean? He inspected the ruins and found there was so much rubble, so much junk that there was not even space for the horse to move. You cannot build on the rubble of your old life. You cannot build on things of the past. When God builds, you have to remove everything. You have to have what is called a fresh beginning, a new beginning. That's exactly what salvation is and so many of us we actually struggle they'll be part of what we heard yesterday and uh, something else too for many of us our struggle is we try to build on something that was already there and it doesn't work and our foundations are very shaky scripture defines salvation this way in second corinthians chapter 5 and words Seventeen. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. It's a new creation. Everything before Christ has to pass away. This is a definitive statement. Primarily, as we go through this process of salvation, everything of the past has to pass away. And the faster you do it, the easier it is to experience the new creation, to build. Even who you and I were before Christ has to pass away. God is not repairing something old. He's not. He's starting something absolutely altogether new if you look at Noah when the flood settled and the ark settled and the waters receded when Noah came out of the ark it was a new creation technically but the man was old that's why before you know the whole creation had fallen back to its old ways because the man was old Though the creation was new. But with us, the creation is old. The man is made, made new. We are made new. The creation is still old. The same Noah is creation. We are living in it. But we have been made new. So you have to look at it very, very clearly. Who am I? And this is what 1 John 2.17 says. The world is passing away. The lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. There is this new creation which will abide forever, but the world is passing away. Creation is passing away. In 2 Corinthians 4, 16, scripture says, We do not lose heart even though our outward man is perishing or passing away, but the inward man, that's a new creation, is being renewed day by day. The outside man is perishing. Everybody, the outside man is perishing. It is perishing. Whether you like it or not, whether you don't feel it or not, everybody is out. And almost everything that's going through your mind now, if it is not the word, is connected with the outward man. The outward man and the world. Outward man is passing away, the world is passing away. The inward man is being renewed. And all Jesus said is for the inward man. He says, my word is spirit and life. The flesh profits nothing. Nothing. So if you're sitting here in flesh, you will be bored. But if you allow the Holy Spirit to quicken your mortal bodies, you will receive, as many asked in the prayer request, what God has for you specifically, for you today. What you need, your spirit needs to hear, you will hear. And this is the battle we face daily. We face the battle of the old man and the new man, and you're facing it now. For me, it's very easy, because I'm preaching the word, so I'm forced, focusing, easy to focus on the new man and God's word, but you are sitting there and staring at me, but your mind my making circles around General Bazaar." <laughs> and Jesus said, "The Gentiles seek after those things. What to eat? What to drink, what to wear. Can add many to that list. Those days life was simple. Today, who to marry, what to look, what app to download. So there is the old man and the new man. To the old man, the law was given. To the old man, what was given? The law was given. You have to understand whether you are a believer sitting here or you are not a believer sitting here. You are an unbeliever. Meaning you don't know Christ. You heard about Christ but you really don't know Christ. Or you haven't even heard about Christ. It doesn't matter. Everybody is under the law if you are not in Christ. And the law works for you. This is how scripture says in Romans 2. For as many as have sinned without the law will perish without the law. So how can you sin without the law? Because through the law you have knowledge of sin. But God says, no, it doesn't work. Because you don't know the law, does not mean you don't sin. Because whether you know gravity or not, if you jump, you fall. No, I don't know gravity, so I will not fall. Try it. Try it. Like the laws of nature, God has ordained his spiritual laws. So scripture says, for as many as have sinned without the law, You are outside the law. You perish. And as many have sinned in the law, will be judged by the law. For not the hearers of the law are just in the sight of God, but the doers of the law will be justified. For when the Gentiles, those who do not know Christ, do not go God, who do not have the law, by nature do the things in the law. How do they by nature do? Because inside the law is there. It is there. Though you may not have the Mosaic code, it is unwritten in your heart. The core of it is there. Although not having the law, are a law to themselves, who show the work of the law written in their hearts. Their conscience is also bearing witness, and between themselves, their thoughts, accusing or else, excusing them. Let me tell you, do you need to read the Ten Commandments to know stealing is wrong? How did all the other people know stealing is wrong? because it is written in their hearts. Now you tell me this question: Have you ever heard a cat say stealing is wrong? They do steal all the time. Hmm? They all steal all the time. Cats will steal any opportunity they get. You know why? It's not written in their hearts. They were not made in the nature of God. We were made in the nature of God. So there is this law of God, whether we know him or not, written in our hearts. And our consciences will judge us. That's the law. And the purpose of the law was very, very simple. Nobody can keep the law. We'll come to that. Leviticus 19, verse 1 and 2. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to all the congregation of Israel, children of Israel, and say to them, You shall be holy, for I, the Lord, your God, is holy. That's the purpose of the law. The purpose of the law is to reveal the lawgiver. The lawgiver is God. So when you look at the law, you understand. Boy. He is holy. That's why we are called preachers of the word. We are not called the word. He is the word. We are just preachers of the word. He is the word. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. And he says, if you have seen me, you have seen God. We are not the word. We are preachers of the word. We only take it and pass it on. So the law reflects the actual character of the lawgiver. The lawgiver is God. And God says, be holy. Yes, I am holy. The standard is, I have set a standard. Be holy. How, Lord? Like me. How do we know who you are? Read the law. You will know what you need to know about me. That's not all of me. But what you need to know of me in this life you will know when you look at the law and you look at my do's and don'ts, you will understand this kind of a person I am. Then we saw, if you were there yesterday and maybe for the fasting and prayer, Jesus interprets the core, the spirit of the law. That's on the Sermon on the Mount. Chapter 5 of Matthew is the Sermon on the Mount is the law in its truth, in its spirit. But at the end of it, the last words, he comes and puts this, Unbelievable demand of the law. What is that? Therefore you shall be perfect just as your father in heaven is perfect. The other one God comes and says, be holy as your God is holy. Now he says, okay, you are all God's children. Now be perfect. Meaning the standard has been brought down just because you are children. Be perfect as your father in heaven is perfect. So this is the demand of the law. Be holy, be perfect. There is no difference between Jew or Gentile. The demand is the same. So the salvation, sorry, the law had only one purpose. It had only one purpose. It was to bring us to Christ. The law couldn't make anybody perfect. It couldn't make anybody holy. In Galatians 3 and verse 24. Yeah? Yeah? Therefore, the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ that we may be justified by faith. What is the purpose of the law? The more you read the law, the more you hear about the Lord, all you can cry out is not how great I am. Lord, have mercy upon this reprobate. That's all. God says, understood. That's why I gave you the law so that you would come to my son. You would come to my son. Okay, That is what salvation is. That is what salvation is. Salvation means the law. But the problem is a lot of people caught in the law do not understand it. Whichever law they are in, they still try to meet the demands of the law. Never able to fulfill it. Never able to fulfill the demands of the law. So how does salvation, Jesus and the law come together? I'm going quickly, okay? Because some of you or many of you have heard it. If you don't, you can... Listen to pastors. The first half of yesterday morning's message. It's in English and Telugu. You will understand it better. But this is what Jesus said about the law. Do not think that I have come to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy but to fulfill. So he says I have come to fulfill the law. So how did he? Fulfill is different. He says I have come to fulfill the law. Hmm? Pura karne ke liye To fulfill. I have come. So he fulfilled the law. There's only one man who ever fulfilled the law. It was Jesus Christ. And we saw three ways in which he fulfilled. First two in time. And three it is present continuous. First is by his life. This is what the Lord demanded. Be holy as God. Be perfect as God. First Peter chapter 2.22 talks about Jesus who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth. Never did he sin. Never in his life, in word, deed, thought, action, he never sinned. Never sinned. That was Jesus. That was the demand of the law. The demand of the law is to keep the whole law. Even if you break one, you have broken them all. He is the only one who kept the entire law. It is not that he was not tempted because he came in the flesh just like us so that is why scripture says he was born of a woman under the law so he had the same flesh and hebrews 4:15 says we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses but was in all points tempted as we are yet without if we didn't have our flesh he cannot be tempted in the next life new creation with the new body nobody is going to be tempted And Jesus, before he incarnated in the human, he was never tempted. Because scripture says very clearly, God cannot be tempted by evil. But the minute he was born in this body, he was tempted like all of us and like no one else. No one else. He was tempted like we never will be tempted. We can dream. And you don't call that a temptation. We have no power to fulfill it. He was God in flesh. So when his temptation comes, he has the power to fulfill it, but he will not use it. That's the first temptation he faces at the age of 30. If you are the son of God, make the stones to bread. He said, I will not. So imagine the kind of temptations he faced as a boy, as a young man, as a teenager, all the stuff he could have done which we only fantasize. But he did not sin. He was tempted at all points and did not sin. So scripture says, he fulfilled with his life the law. What is that? Perfect, holy, just like God. If there was ever a man who walked on earth who was like God, it was Jesus in the flesh. Then, what is sin? 1 John 3, 4. Whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness. And sin is lawlessness. So he never broke the law. Because what is sin? It is lawlessness. Like we looked. Whether you know the law or not. It does not matter. You break a traffic law. And you, when you are stopped. And the officer is writing the challa. And you cannot say I did not know. He said pay the fine and go learn. Okay, so he knew the law, he never sinned. So with his life, he fulfilled the law. Second, by his death, Galatians 3.10. Yeah, yeah. For as many as are the works of the law are under the curse. Everybody who is under the law is under a curse. For it is written, cursed is everyone who does not continue in all the things which are written in the book of the law to do them. So he came under that curse, because he came under the law. Though he kept the entire law, so he was actually free from the curse, Bible will say he became curse for us. That's what happened on the cross. The only time God turns his face away from his son is when he became sin for us. So if you go to the next verse, 13. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. It was written thousands of years ago. Everyone who is under the law is under a curse, and the end of that curse is death and death by hanging. So there is Jesus hanging on the cross. He became curse for us. So how does Corinthians Paul put it in 5? He made him who knew no sin to be not sinner for us. He was never a sinner. He became sin for us. So when we get saved, we are not being forgiven for our sins. We are being that sin Nature is removed because he became sin for us. He became sin for us. That we might become the righteousness. That's called the divine impartation that takes place at the cross. When you look at the cross, look at what he has done. And when you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, my sin is put on him. His righteousness is transferred. And where do you see that in the Old Testament? In the desert, when the children of Israel were dying because of snake bite. How did we all die? Because a snake serpent came into the garden and bit us. Mankind started dying. So the only option given to them is, make a bronze serpent, lift it up. Everybody who looks up will be healed. So everyone who looked, meaning the defeat of Satan on the cross, Even Satan didn't understand. It was a mystery hidden from him. This represented his defeat, which would happen a few thousand years later. He had no clue. That's why I said, Bible is primarily revelation. If God closes it, no one can open it. Even Satan, having been perfect in wisdom and beauty, created of the highest of archangels, couldn't figure that one out. It was right and plain for us all now. He couldn't figure, if, because scripture says if he had known that, he wouldn't have have crucified Jesus. He didn't know. So this is where Jesus fulfills the law by his death. He fulfills the law by his life. He fulfills the law by his death. And now third, when salvation takes place, what actually happens is, Christ is born in us. Christ is born in us. That's actually what happens. Christ is born in us. It's a divine thing that happens. When you believe the word of God is like a seed, it comes and births Christ in our spirit. Now what happens? It's it's strange. You are in Christ and Christ is in you. You are in Christ and Christ is in you. And When that happens... Romans 8, verse 1 to 4 says, There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. No condemnation. But don't walk according to the flesh, old nature. If you walk according to old nature, you are under condemnation. If you walk according to the Spirit, which is there inside the Spirit of Christ, by which you are born again, there is no condemnation. Why? He took the condemnation. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. It's a different law that has come now written. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh. God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. On account of sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. Whose flesh? Christ's flesh. And look at verse 4. That the righteous requirement of the law, this righteous requirement of the law, might be fulfilled in us. That is, we, in theological terms we say, Christ now lives vicariously through us. He fulfills the law. He fulfills the law with his life, with his death. And in our lives, he keeps fulfilling the law. He keeps fulfilling the law. That's why there is only one way of salvation and one way of living. The purpose of the law and the purpose of grace, we are saved by grace, is the same. What is it? To declare a man righteous. That is what the righteous requirement What does the law do? Two things it will say. If you look at court cases, okay, Deepika court cases. First, a sentence is passed. And then later the punishment doesn't come out together on the same day. The first sentence is this, guilty or not guilty? That's the first. The judge will say, not guilty, charges dismissed. Guilty, then what all counts, it will be given. The next hearing, he will tell you what is your punishment. So the law will proclaim two things, righteous or unrighteous. That's the demand of the law. Righteous or unrighteous? What does the law tell about everybody? Unrighteous. In Romans 3, verse 21 and 22, now the righteousness of God apart from the law. There is a righteousness of God with the law. There is a righteousness of God apart from the law. The righteousness of God with the law is what Jesus fulfilled. It is possible to be righteous according to the law. Technically, theoretically, practically, no. Nobody can. Why? Because you are born in sin. Let me explain to you. We did not become sinners because we sin. We are sinners, therefore we sin. So it doesn't matter how many good things you do. It's irrelevant before the law because you were born a sinner. That's what David will say in Psalm 51. Shaped in iniquity, conceived, born in sin. So there is no escape for man. Because he will ultimately sin. And the law demands perfection. It doesn't demand 99%. It's irrelevant. No entry. 99.99% no entry into heaven. Into the presence of God. Unless you are 100%. That's the nature of the law. The law has only two verdicts. Guilty or not guilty. It's not somewhat guilty. Nothing like that. Guilty or not guilty. And this is the requirement. Therefore, the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed. Being witnessed by the law, both the law and the prophets were showing to that. We're a school teacher telling us to the coming Christ. Even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ. To all and on all who believe, for there is no difference. And the problem with mankind is they cannot believe it, it is so simple. No, 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 it is not possible. I need to say a few prayers and fast three days. But God says, you can do whatever you want. You will be, never be declared righteous. To be declared righteous, there is only one way. Faith in Christ alone. You have two ways. One is the way of the law. The other is the way of Christ. You can choose, God says. The problem with the law is this. In Galatians 2.16, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law. Justification is where you are declared not guilty. Nobody is declared not guilty by the law. But by faith in Jesus Christ. That we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. For the works of the law, no flesh shall be justified. Get the trap people are got into. Because every religion is a set of laws. Every religion is a set of laws. Do's and don'ts. And God says you can try to keep it as much as you want. At the end of the day the verdict is guilty as charged. The wages of sin shall is All have sinned. The wages of sin is death. Eternal separation from God. The law justifies no one. And Galatians, that's what we looked at, right? Galatians 3, 21 to 23, what else did the the law do? Is the law against the promises of God? No, certainly not. If there had been a law given which could have given life, truly righteous would have been by the law. But scripture has confined all under sin. What is the first thing the law does? Everybody is locked under sin. The law is not making you sinners, declares You are in sin. So whatever you do, that nature will ultimately manifest. That the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. The only way you will come out of that prison is believing in Jesus. He goes, takes you out. That's what Ephesians 4 says. He took captivity captive. Everybody who was taken captive by sin and had to go through pay the wages of death, who were imprisoned in paradise, when he rose from the dead, he took them up. Everybody was set free. All those who believed in him by faith were set free. He took captivity captive. Because who did this imprisonment? The law did it. The law has imprisoned everybody under sin. And then, but before faith came, we were kept under God by the law. We were kept. The only thing that would get a man to escape was faith in Jesus Christ. So the question is, in the beginning, technically there was no law. Adam walked with God, Eve walked with God, it was beautiful, fellowship, worship, work, everything was beautiful. Only one thing they were told, don't eat it. Once they ate it, sin came in. Once sin came in, the laws came in. So Galatians 3.19 says, why laws were given. What purpose then the Lord served? It was added because of transgressions. Transgressions. And it's still happening. Still happening. Every government in the world, when the parliament comes together, they keep on adding laws. Because transgressions are increasing. Like I told yesterday, 75 years ago, 50 years ago. Were there any traffic rules in Hyderabad? No. No rules. Not at all. No traffic lights, nothing. But today all this has come because transgressions. Five, 20 years ago was there something called cyber security, cyber laws. Now there is cyber crime and cyber lawyers also. Why are these laws being added? Because Transgression is increasing. People did not even know. Old days you went to a bank, stood in the line, wrote it, go took your money. Then ATM came, online came in and all the online thefts started. So you have cyber security. And so earlier people stole from pockets. Now they steal still online. So new laws have to be brought in. Are you getting it? Law was added because of transgressions. But... When you and I come to Christ, and we believe in Christ, we are justified. We think we are forgiven. No, that's in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, anybody who came to God and offered the sacrifice was forgiven. In the New Testament, nobody is forgiven. You are forgiven, yes. But it is more than that. You are justified. As if you have never sinned. That's what 2 Corinthians 5.17 means. Any man who comes to Christ Jesus is a forgiven sinner. He says, no. It's a new creation. Absolutely new creation. All things have passed away. And behold, all things have become new. Absolutely new beginning. And we have to be very, very careful about this. Very, very careful about it. Because the problem is this. Let me tell you what the issue is. The problem is this. When Adam and Eve ate of that forbidden fruit, a lot of people will say apple, apple, apple. There is no apple mentioned in the Bible. We don't even know. I think it was a fig because they covered themselves with fig trees, uh, fig leaves. So I don't know what it is. Maybe it was another tree whose leaves were big. I don't know what it was. But one thing I know, they covered with fig leaves. you have no clue what the fruit it was. Otherwise, if you keep apples, you should be getting more evil and more smart. It's not happening. All it does, it gives doesn't give you gastrics. Okay. Okay. That's a news for all of you. Little education from the secular world. If you have problem with your stomach, after dinner, eat an apple. It will settle your stomach. That's why in the old days, they said an apple a day keeps the doctor away. Okay? It actually works. So here, once they ate it. Now what was the nature of that fruit? Knowledge of? You see, everybody before they came to Christ, has a knowledge of both good and evil. Nobody is absolutely evil. Even the biggest mafia boss who gives sense hitmen to kill other people's children loves his child. Takes care of his own. There's nobody like that. So there is good and evil. The problem is there is good and evil and there is also the law written inside. Are you getting it? There's good and evil. And the law written inside. That's the old man. The problem is once you get saved, they both function. And people do not know, if you come back under the law, you are cursed. People do not understand that salvation is an absolutely radical new beginning. It was so easy for me to experience because of the... the structural stuff God did in my life in which he brought me up. Because one, I grew up in a country where there was technically no Christianity. I was the only child in my family where four studied in Christian convents, I studied in a Protestant school. I was the only child who did not take communion in the Catholic Church, the other four took. Everywhere God blocked me. Everywhere God blocked me. I did not know then, but I realized he had a purpose. So what happens is, I had very little of any religion in my head. But still, you grow in the world, values, things get into your head. Okay, It is there. Our problem is, with believers, our problem is, <coughs> we struggle with the good. Not with the bad. We don't even realize Our actual struggle in allowing Christ to grow is with the good. The bad everybody knows. We don't realize the good is equally a block. As soon as the Gentiles got saved, immediately the first believers were all Jewish believers. They came, Acts chapter 15, verse 1. A certain man came down from Judea and taught the brethren, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Now, why are they bringing circumcision? Because to come under the Jewish heritage, under the law, the Mosaic law, the first sign is the child is circumcised at the age of, at the eighth day. So Jesus born of woman to come under the law had to be circumcised on the eighth day. Are you getting it? So they said, no, you have to be circumcised. And the problem begins and we looked at it in the previous messages and all, we looked at it. The thing is that the Jewish believer who is in Christ, the old nature and the law in him is trying to bring the Gentile believer who is also in Christ under the law. And Paul is literally mad. You have to realize in so many of his letters, this issue comes in. In Galatians chapter 5, 1 and 4, I'll just look at the core of it. Stand fast therefore in the liberty by which God has made us free. Do not be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. The law is a yoke of bondage. You are a slave under the law. Indeed, I Paul say to you, if you become circumcised, Christ will profit you Nothing. What does it mean spiritually? If you come under the law, grace won't work for you. The gospel is the gospel of grace. Grace is the power of the Holy Spirit that creates the new creation and builds the new creation. He says, if you come under the law, grace won't work. You can choose law or grace. Christ, be, yeah, Christ will profit you nothing. And then, verse 3, Again I testify to every man, who becomes circumcised, that is a debtor to keep the whole law. He says, remember the nature of the law. If you break one, you break all. You go under the law, you keep them all. Not only that, you have been estranged, meaning alienated, separated from Christ. You who attempt to be justified by the law, you have fallen from grace. That's what happens. You fall away from grace. You fall away from grace. You're finished. Because the law was meant for the old man, which we call the flesh. The law was meant for the flesh. It was not meant for the new man. The law was meant for the flesh. So Galatians chapter 5, verse 16 to 18. I say, walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the spirit, the spirit against the flesh. These are contrary to one another so that you do not do the things you wish. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. What does it also mean? If you are not led by the spirit, you go under the law. If you are not led by the spirit, you are led by the flesh. The problem is you need to understand this. The flesh likes the law. Because the law was made for the flesh. The flesh likes the law. They were made for each other. The flesh likes the law. David has been walking in the flesh, he's committed adultery, deceit, murder, everything, and when Nathan comes and says there was a rich man and a poor man, and this man did the poor man, he said, who is that? I shall kill him. Why? The flesh likes the law. He said, so you are that man. The flesh likes the law. This is what we need to realize, our old. Because the law is like so similar to truth, we will confuse one for the another. Without realizing we have been trapped. That's why yesterday I said. Our problem is. We are confessing. Of what we do. And we don't get liberty. We don't confess. Of who we are. There are two confessions you make. Who you are in Christ. And who you are not in Christ. That's Paul's cry in Romans 7. For I delight in the law of God according to the inward man, but I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind. So in the law of mind is the law of Christ. In the body is the law, the other law. Bringing me into captivity the law of sin which is in my members. Oh wretched man that... He doesn't say, oh the wretched things I did. He says, the wretched man that I am. Who will save me from this body of death? He says, this is who I am. Why do I do the things that I do? Because this is who I am. And what is the solution? Christ. Christ. I need to be hidden in Christ. Look at the other illustration I gave yesterday. Luke 18 verses 9 to 14. Two people at the temple. Also, he spoke this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous. Remember, the righteousness is what we are looking for and despise others. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, Lord, I thank you that I am not like others—men, other men, extronerous, unjust, adulterous, or even as this tax collector. I fast twice a week, I give tithes, all that I possess. Technically, what is the Pharisee saying? There is this law. The law says, don't do this and do this. Lord, I do this and I don't do this. I am righteous under the law. We do not realize often when we sin, we think we will not have the consequences of sin. Because after all, I am a believer and I go for Bible studies every week. I fast, I pray. And not realizing from the beginning till the end. When you sin, there is only one way out. Go to Christ, you receive mercy. There is no other way. You don't realize. All of us are caught in this trap. And we condemn ourselves. I am so bad. Who is condemning you? The law. How do you get out of condemnation? By trying to do more good? No, going back to Christ. Your good is irrelevant. To get out of condemnation is only one thing. That's why God says, come boldly. To the throne room of grace, receive mercy and grace for every need. You receive mercy, how many times? A billion times for the same sin in your life. You will get it, because he said it so. If you don't get it, then his price was not enough. But grace is given, so you are able to overcome. Maybe little at a time, maybe in one blast, whichever way you appropriate it. But you can. That's what grace does. Otherwise, you will caught in the trap of the law. Look at the poor fellow who the sinner, in the next. And the tax collector standing afar off would not so much as raise his eyes to the heaven, but bit his breast saying, Lord, be merciful to me, eh? He said, this is who I am. He didn't mention any of the things. He said, this is who I am. Why do I do these things? Because this is who I am. This is who I am. And what did Jesus say? I tell you, this man went down to his house justified. He acknowledged who I am, and God said, fine, I will justify you. Because there is no justification under the law. There is only one who justifies. It is Christ Jesus. Jesus said, I justified him, because he accepted before me who I am. There's no other way all the days of your life. Otherwise, you will get into the trap of coming back to the law, and it's the flesh that traps you. The law will come back. Always try to come back. Look at the letter in the book of Philippians. Philippians chapter 3. Verses 1 to 4. No, 3, 1 to 4. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. For me to write the same things to you is not tedious, but for you it is safe. You know? What he calls, wake him up. He calls the preacher of the law preachers, he says, beware of dogs. He calls them dogs. Beware of evil workers. Beware of mutilation. Why? For we are the circumcision who worship God in the spirit. Rejoice in Christ Jesus have no confidence in the flesh. Though I also might have confidence in the flesh. If anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I more so. He says, my spirit is circumcised. These mutilators who come and says you have to be circumcised and come under the law to be saved. He says, you know what, They're dogs, he's trying to drag you back into the law. Don't go back under the law. So salvation is not just a new beginning. It's a new creation. The old has passed away. So it doesn't matter what your heritage is, whether you are Jewish or Gentile, it doesn't matter. It's irrelevant before God. In Galatians 6, 6, 15 and 16, For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything but a new creation. As many as walk according to this rule, Who am I? A new creation. Peace and mercy be upon them. And upon the Israel of God. They are the Israel of God. Peace be upon them. Are you getting this? Please remember this. Because every one of us has an old man. And the old man has a past. It could be a Hindu past. It could be if you are a Muslim convert. It's a Muslim past. It could be a secular past. It could be a Catholic past. It could be a Protestant past. It doesn't matter what you were before you were saved. Everybody has a past. In that past, there were a lot of good works. lot of? Every one of those works has to cease before you really experience Christ. Every one of them has to cease. Otherwise, you will be saved. You will really never grow. Every one of them has to cease. Let us say, I was a Catholic. So before I got saved, I was a devout Catholic and I used to fast every Friday. When I become a believer, I stop. I fast when the Spirit says, Before I got saved, I might be a devout Hindu. I used to give alms to all the beggars. When I get saved, I stop giving to everybody except when the Spirit says. Because He is the steward of my life and my possessions, I am just... He is he, the Lord. I am just a steward. That's what stewardship of life means. Otherwise, what will happen? We will take... Pride in our good works. It's not your works. That is, no man will stand before God and ever boast of it is works. The only thing that will be counted is what Christ did through you. Those are his works and not your works. And this is the struggle believers face. It's not that they are not saved, they are not growing because Christ is not allowed to grow because the law taps you. And without even realizing because the law had all these things, fasting and prayer and giving and tithes and all these things were under the law. You go back to it. And without realizing, you also pray like the Pharisee. Lord, I fast, I pray, I tithe. Why is this happening to me? God said, I beg your pardon. Are you under the law? Everything has to cease. Everything has to cease. That's why Jesus in Lazarus' house says, one thing, Mary got it. Sitting still at my feet. One thing. The work of Christ in your life begins from stillness. First you sit down. Stop doing all the stuff. Sit down. Do your regular whatever you are doing but sit down. Hear and do. That's where it begins. Paul was a Listen to Paul's biography. It's very interesting in Galatians 1. I advance in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries in my own nation, being more exceedingly zealous for the traditions of my fathers. But when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me through his grace to reveal his son in me. He revealed his son. when I got saved, what I saw was Christ was in me. What did I do? I might preach him among the Gentiles. I did not immediately confer with flesh and. He also had a family. He had parents and brothers, and he didn't talk to any one of them, because he knew they were all flesh and blood Juda- Judaizers, but they did not know Christ. He didn't confer with any one of them. nor did I go up to Jerusalem. To those who were apostles before me, what did I do? I went to. He went into the desert for three years. Sat literally there with Jesus and said, You teach me, you show me what you need me to do. That's what happens. People struggle when they come to this church. Pastor, what do you want to do? I just sit down and learn. Now I've been in the ministry for 40 years. I said, But you are new here. A lot of older people got offended and left. I said, I- I'm sorry. It doesn't matter what you wear outside. When you come here, you are new. Now what does a new person do? Sit down. Sit down. And learn. Sit down. This is his biography. That's where he began. He didn't say, I am qualified, said, I am exceeding others. Before that, I am qualified now to preach Christ. He said, no, sit down. Let me learn Christ first before I preach Christ. That's how his purpose was defined in his life. And that's where purpose comes. We have so many purposes. That's all good should be at the periphery or tertiary or whatever you want to call it. Secondary, whatever. Primary should be this man. This man in Philippians 3, 8 says something. He says, In it I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my... You know what? This guy is saying, all things have all passed away. All things are new. What is new? The only thing that matters is a new creation. Who is that? Christ in me. The only thing I want to know is Christ who is in me. I want to know him. The fo- everything I do in life, the core is this. The core purpose of my life is I want to know, I want to have the excellence of the knowledge of Jesus Christ. I want to know him. Out of that knowledge alone is a ministry going to result in his life. It should be true for all of us. Out of the knowledge of Jesus Christ, a work should result. People will not understand you. They will say you all kind of things. It is irrelevant to you because you know, you know him and this is what he wants you to do. That was his purpose. And people do not know everybody's heart. It is there. Only thing you haven't realized it. We looked at times and seasons and all that. uh, Time for this, time for this, time for this, time for this, time for this. When does that all stop? Ecclesiastes 3.11 says, He has made everything beautiful in its time, but He also puts eternity in their hearts. Okay? So there is so many things connected with eternity. A shadow is there on earth. We pursue all these things until we encounter the Eternal One. Not eternity the Eternal One. When you encounter Him, He should become your purpose. That's why Hindu, Muslim, Buddhist, Jain, Christian, everybody wants to do good works because eternity is in their heart. They know this will count in eternity. They are not doing it for now. They are not doing it for now. Everybody is doing it for the coming life in whichever way they have formatted it. They are doing it for us because they know eternity matters. And these things will matter in eternity. Me feeding the poor, the poor is giving me nothing. But one day when I stand, everybody has a concept about judgment. Every religion has a concept about judgment. So everybody is under the law doing good works, good works, good works, good works. Why? Because God put eternity into your hearts and the law also into your heart. But He says the whole purpose was to bring you to Christ. Without Christ you get nothing. All your good works will not cancel who you are, who are you, born in sin, shaped in iniquity. And every work of yours is tainted by it. I have to start all over, not with you, as a new creation. My son born in you. That is salvation. That's what Jesus told Nicodemus, a righteous man. Nicodemus, unless you're born from above. By water and spirit, you will not see or enter into the kingdom of God. It was like a slap on this old man's face. He's a Sanhedrin, part of the Sanhedrin, a leader, a teacher of the law. He has been telling you, door closed. You cannot enter. You have to be born again. The eternal one has come to live inside of all of us. And I also feel many. I don't. I don't using any number. Some of you are not saved. You have the. I, you have the idea of salvation in your head, but you don't have the person who brings salvation in your heart. There's a difference between two. One is an idea. The other is a person. The idea is good. It's a good idea. Doesn't save you. The person does. That's what Paul is talking about. He had the idea of the law, the law, the law, the law, law. And he says, according to the law, blameless. But then God revealed his son in me. Once he revealed his son in me, the only thing I wanted to do in life, everything revolved around it, is that I want to know him. I want to know him. That's what scripture says about law came through Moses. And grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Truth in Christianity is not a set of ideas. Truth in Christianity is a person. Jesus said, I am the truth. I am the truth. And the primary purpose of grace, grace is so that we grow in that person. When we grow in the person, the problem is he grows. We become lesser, 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 lesser. So in 2nd Peter chapter 3 and verse 18. 2nd Peter 3, 18. Scripture will say, Grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord Savior Jesus Christ. What is grace given for? To grow in Christ. It's all connected with that person. Grace is connected with the person. The more you grow in grace, the more you grow in him. But if you try to use grace against him, grace will not work. And God is not a respecter of persons. Somebody said uh, about grace. No, it's a good acronym. What is that? God's riches at Christ's expense. What is grace? God's riches at Christ's expense. If it is God's, grace is God's riches. Let me tell you, invest it in Christ. Your investment will matter in eternity. Invest grace in Christ. And Christ is not an... Respecter of persons. Look at Apostle Paul. Philippians 3.10. That I might know him. The power of his resurrection. The fellowship. It's life was defined by that one word. That I might know him. That I might know him. That I might know him. Go this way tomorrow to your work. Lord, even when I go to work, my, my, my prayer is that I might know you. You may be revealed. When I cook in my house, you may be like I told you long, that was actually to encourage you, which is true even today. I like sweeping, swabbing and washing because it is very, very uh, salvation based for me because it is the dirt being cleaned out. So I actually like it. It's very strange for a man every day, except Sundays. I sweep, I swab. I wash dishes and every week I iron clothes because ironing clothes, I love it because this is how I was and he's straightening me out with his hot iron. I love it. You have to see everything that you do in the light of him. Everything. One thing. One thing. One thing. I may know him. Look at words 13 and 14. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended. I'm not saying I got him. But one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind, reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press towards the goal for the price of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Where would you find a man like this? Maybe there are many we don't even know of. Paul did one thing with his life. What was that? everything he did, he was seeking Christ and to know him. But let me tell you something. Paul, in reality, was an incredibly busy man. He was an apostle, meaning modern days, a missionary who planted churches. He was short-term pastors in all the churches he planted. He was a teacher of word. He was a trainer of elders and pastors. He traveled far and wide on horseback. On ship, he got caught in storms and desert and hunger and famine. Oh, he was busy like no man's business. It's not that he's sitting idle looking in heaven and say one thing I see. No, he was absolutely busy. But every in that business, one thing defined his life. What is that? One thing. One thing. I want to know him. Because people will misinterpret and say, okay, he was a lazy man. All he did was fast and pray. No. He was unbelie. He was an alcoholic. He traveled like nobody. He preached like nobody. He could preach the whole day, but even in that, he was seeking Christ. He was seeking Christ. So he does not mention all his activities in the Bible except once, as a defense to his accusers. In Corinthians, he mentions set of things he went through, because all he did was related to this eternal person, Jesus Christ, that I may know him. Why I am telling you is that all of us get trapped. We could come towards salvation to a point, like in a government job, after some time you know, hai, promotion nahi hai. you settled down. You will go to government offices, you will see. They come, first they take that handkerchief, wipe it, then they will put that tiff in dabba there, Then they will take their magazine and sit. What are they? Government employees. Which government? I don't know. Self-government. Because they have decided, this is it. I am also, I am waiting for retirement. And so many people have retired in their spiritual life. They have settled down. What do they do? The same good works. One circle is there. They are not able to hear from God to stop. Jesus heard. One whole day he's preaching, casting out demons, healing the people. The people were there till evening. He healed them all. He was tired. He went to sleep. Early in the morning he wakes up. He goes and prays. He hears. His disciples come and say, Lord, the people of all have come. He says, let's go to the other place. I need to teach. For this purpose I came. Why? He heard. He stopped all his good works. Because the minute you do a good work, Outside the will of God, it becomes a dead work. That's why the first call of salvation in Hebrews 6.1 is repent from works, dead works. It doesn't say evil works. Your good work and your evil work, if it is not empowered by the spirit of God, is a dead work in the light of eternity. And we are consumed by dead works. That's why we have no time and no energy and no resources. Kingdom of God, there's always time. Jesus just needed three and a half years to give all his teaching and to do the complete work of salvation and go three and a half years finished. Why? Because he heard. This is the salvation message. And we have to go through this stage by stage. He is able to save to the uttermost those who come to him. That's what the Bible is talking about. One purpose. One purpose. The busiest man. The busiest man. But you know what his problem was? The problem was he was too busy. So sometimes he was also short-sighted. We can be very short-sighted. Oh my God, I need to go to Galatia. I need to teach. I need to go to Roman. I need to teach. I need to go to Corinth. I need to teach. And God said, you know what? Paul, you are not able to see into the future. Your ministry is much bigger than you think. You think your ministry is big because all of Asia Minor has heard my word. Within those three years, I preached in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. You think your ministry is very, big? He said, you have no clue. What I am thinking about you. So I have to do one thing. I have to stop you. And I am going to put you in prison in different places. From there you write letters. That letters will become the foundation of the church for the next 2,000 years. Why? Stop your good works. Sit down and write. Sit down. And I cannot sit you down. Because you have both wisdom and zeal. There are very few people with both. You are zealous for Yahweh. And now Christ. And you have the knowledge of who Christ is. So nobody can stop you from preaching. So I will. I will put you in jail. So we have all these letters written from prison. And we break our heads over it. Because it was not a good work. It was the work of Christ through Paul. So if you hear from Christ, you may not end up in prison. Otherwise he will have to put you there to do his work. Everything. This one purpose defined his life. Passion, passion, passion. Look at his, even his prayer life was that. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation. What? In the knowledge of him. We say, Lord give me wisdom for exams, God says. yaar, buy some guide and do it. <laughs> There are people on their knees like Daniel fasting for 21 days so that I might he might know you. You are asking for a math exam. How temporal your eyes are. And he is merciful, so he gives you. Just pass. The prayer in the Holy Spirit is to reveal who Christ is. And this prayer. If you look at it, Lord, give us who? Give you the spirit, the Holy Spirit of wisdom and revelation so that we may grow in the knowledge of him. This is exactly according to what Jesus had said. Look at what Jesus said. John 16 verses 13 to 15. However, when he, the spirit of truth has come, what will he do? He will guide you into all truth. How? How? For he will not speak on his own authority. Whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will tell you things to come. And from the teaching of the Holy Spirit, what does he do? He will glorify me. He will take of what is mine and declare it to you. That's why he's praying, give me the spirit of wisdom and revelation that I might know him. The Holy Spirit says, good, I will reveal it to you. And all those revelation becomes those epistles. From Romans all the way to Titus or maybe even Hebrews, I don't know. That's what eternal life is. That's what salvation is. Let's go to, I didn't give it to you, John 17 verse 3, so that people get a refresher course. There are two eternal lives. One is eternal life, which is called salvation. It is this. It's another eternal life which is called forever and ever in hell. both is eternal. What differentiates these two in one? this is eternal life that they might know you. But the question is not whether you are growing in life, whether you are growing in eternal life whether Christ. That's what his prayer was. I want to know him. Paul was a bachelor. But he was very romantic, no? When people are very romantic, mere jaan hai. Paul was the only man who meant it now, forever. Tu meri jaan hai. I want to know you. You are my life. You are my life. This is what eternal life is. This is what the new creation longs for. We saw in Galatians 6 and verse 15. Like old, nothing matters. It's a new creation. Think about a fish in water. It is natural environment. You take it out, it will start gasping for air. And if you leave it alone, you will see it flop, 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 and it jump into the water and it goes. The believer's life should be like that. In Christ is your natural environment. And you step out of Christ, you should be gasping for air. But it's the other way around. In Christ, they're gasping in the church. They go out into the world, oh, they're naturally swimming like dolphins. You see, you guys, I'm talking about the crowd sitting here, the young ones and a few older ones. You don't know this, this, let's say in Hindi, which is called jugad. Hindi has got a word which other languages don't have. It is called Jugaad. Okay. What you don't know is, I have something which is called a camera. There are eight cameras in this. So LHL is shown on this. LTD is shown on this. And I look at this and I look at this and I said, how can people waste time like this? Doing nothing. How can they? Wandering around, wandering around, talking. (laughs) Yesterday something happened. Everybody is there. I had to call and say, let them go inside. What are you watching watching there for? No spectacle? Everybody. You know, how we waste the most precious thing God has given to us in this life, which is called T-I-M-E. You don't get it back. And if you don't use that time to know Him, that is our eternal regret. Oh, I wish. Oh, I wish. I'd spent that extra time. I'm not talking go to your office and do that. No. Work. In Christ. In Christ. Look at this man's understanding of who Christ is. Galatians 2. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live. But Christ lives in me, and the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. This is what He's saying. He's my life. I no longer live; He lives through me. That is, how does He live? That by, by, faith. What does Corinthians five seven say? My just, for we walk. When you walk by faith, what happens? He lives, you die. He lives, you die. And to walk by faith, what is the first faculty which has to be touched? Years. Faith comes from? Hearing from thee. My question to you is, when you are sitting, wandering around, why can't all of you I see have gadgets? I know you are not listening to the word also. Why don't you listen? Why don't you carry? I, I think it's Anne who gave this. I thank you whoever it is. I love this so easy to carry. Why don't you carry one? You have apps? Apps are good. Very good. I love the apps also. Not that I use it in the church. Because you can color code each passage. You're not studying the Bible. You're trying to get to know him. Otherwise you will stop studying the Bible. It bores you. Everything is connected with a person. The problem is you get word with the word is because you're still working under the law. Oh, I need to do my devotions. Who said? The law said. Three times a day I used to pray. I have to pray three times. Who said? The law said. Seven times I pray. Who said? The law said. Finally, the man whose tabernacle God said who would rebuild, who break many of the laws, God, what does he say? Your praise shall be continually in my mouth. He began with three. You read the order in the Psalms. It began with three. He went to seven. And finally concludes by saying, Your praise shall be continually in my mouth. Why? One thing alone I sought that I might dwell in your house forever. Where there is no separation. There is your presence. All I want to do is stand before you, sit before you, and praise you. And who are you? King. That's what he's rebuilding. He's not building the temple of Solomon. Or the tabernacle of Moses. He's rebuilding the broken down tabernacle of David. How do you do it? By faith. By faith. Faith is directed against, towards a person. Then you use faith to do what that person wants to do through you. That's how faith is used. So I told you yesterday, if you were there, three traps the believer is set up with by the devil. And sometimes well-meaning people also. Either he takes you back to the law. And before you know, the yoke of bondage has come. Oh, oh, I didn't do my devotions today. Oh, I think God must be mad at me. Who told you? Who told you? Which law are you under? Law, you and we don't realize all those disciplines are good. Don't make those disciplines into a law because relationship, intimate relationships don't have laws, they don't have laws. Three traps either he will take you back to the law or He will take this incredible thing called faith and turn it to just temporal things. I'm believing for a house. It's good. Believe for a house. But believe for that person who will dwell with you in that house. That is Christ Jesus, not your wife. Your wife may leave you. Your husband may leave you. But he is the one who said, I will never leave you. So see that he is there. A threefold cord cannot be broken. Two can be. When two-fold cord breaks, it is called divorce. A three-fold cord is called salvation. In your marriage. It will never leave you. It will never forsake you. So even if you believe for a house, it is to be that Lord, you will be there in that house with me. And if you are not going to be there, have the audacity of Moses to say, if your present doesn't come with me, I will not move from the wilderness into the promised land. Because where you are is my promised land. I will stay in this desert for the next 40 years. If you are going to be here, this is where I stay. If you don't come, I'm not coming. I'm staying back here with you. So don't second trap. You take this faith. Word of faith, incredibly powerful. And just look at the temporal things, and you have lost sight completely of the eternal, completely of eternal. Or third thing, you become very casual about grace, casual about grace. Jew talks about it, turned grace into a license. Three traps. Either you to go back to the law. And the law is very, it's very interesting the law. I know believers who go walk under the law. Meaning, I went to church. And I was on time. And I was till the end. And I took the benediction. Also I went. So I am okay. But you never read your Bible. You didn't even talk to God. You never heard from God. But I am okay because I have done my duty. That's the law. That's the law. It doesn't save you. Salvation is uh, living experience with a living person called Jesus Christ. Don't get under the trap of the law. Because the primary purpose of faith through which grace comes is to save us first and then to know him. To know him. More and more and more and more and more. That's what Colossians one twenty seven says. Christ in me, the hope of Christ in me. Where is your hope coming from? Of glory. Christ in me, this is a mystery. Christ in you, the hope of glory. And that Christ is not an idea, that Christ is a person who speaks. That's why faith comes from glory. Like I told last time, you have five senses. If you want to walk, you need to have to exercise these senses. If you cannot see, then you need touch. If you don't touch, can't feel also, you need sound. Otherwise, you won't be able to move. If you have to walk with God by faith, your faith has to have senses. It has to be touched by the Spirit of God that you hear, you see. There's no other way. And this is what salvation is. So first now when we go as we go and we will come back with the time we have, we'll go to communion. We don't even understand this table. What is it called? The English we use the communion. We are not celebrating our fellowship. That's what happened in the Corinthian church. We are celebrating him. And his death. Why do we celebrate his death? Because his death is the beginning of my new life. If he hadn't died, you and I have no life bound under the law. alone. My hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my song. When it's gone to stone, Lord, in prayer. Father, we just come to you. Oh, Father, unlike the law, we don't have to go through a thousand offerings to be cleansed. We just have to come to you through Jesus. That one offering on the cross. The only offering that was acceptable to you. We come through him. That new way for the new creation. Sanctify us, Lord. Cleanse us, O Lord. That, O oh Father, we may sit at your table and partake of this emblem of your body and your blood and it brings strength and healing and wholeness into everyone who partakes of it, oh Lord. Thank you, thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We go back to the word a little time. I won't be able to finish today. So I shall finish when I get back. Salvation, the gospel, life itself is about Christ. It's not about us. It's about him. And if is not first, that one purpose in our life, we may be saved, but we'll always struggle with our time, with our order, with our priorities, with life itself. Because you are not able to make decisions. Not able to make decisions. Like we say, when you build the house, when you build the house, one stone is first laid. Once that stone is laid, then the rest is easy. Everything takes its shape from that. That is called, we have time, we'll come to that. It's called the cornerstone. If Christ is not your foundation, and is just an add-on, not your foundation. you may be saved. I'm not saying he's your foundation, but you don't recognize him as a foundation. You have believed, but you're not able to build. And Christ demands that from us. the demand of salvation, and people, may mis- people misunderstood Paul all his life. people misunderstood Moses all his life. people misunderstood David all his life. But these were all people after God, not what they could get out of God, after God. because sometimes relationships can bog us down. How do you balance relationships? Because that's one primary thing for young people or older people. Relationship, because we are all caught in relationship, wife, children, parents, all friends. How do you manage this? How do you balance this? How do you get the order in? The order is again the cornerstone. That is Christ. Love me with all your heart, all your might, all your strength. And if you don't, look at one example in the Bible. And how that person is set free. Genesis chapter 29. When the Lord saw Leah was unloved, she opened her womb. But Rachel was barren. So Leah conceived and bore a son and she called his name Reuben. For she said, the Lord has surely looked at on my affliction. Now therefore my husband will love me. What does Reuben mean? He has seen my affliction. Oh, the Lord has seen my affliction. I got my, but where are her eyes? Now Jacob will love me. Ah, I gave him a son. Leah, Rachel didn't. Now he will love me. He didn't. Jacob had neither eyes for Leah or God. His eyes were on Rachel only. And then, Then she conceived again and bore a son and said, Because the Lord has heard I am unloved, he has given me this son also. And she called his name Simeon. What does Simeon mean? He who hears. (coughs) Now my husband will hear me. God has heard me. Now my husband will love me. I have given him two sons. The culture, that's a big bonus. Nothing happened. She conceived again and bore a son. Now this time my husband will become attached to me. Because I have borne him three sons. She called him Levi, which means attached. His husband was still attached to Rachel. Nothing is happening. A lot of people go through this. Is the relationship wrong? Is the longing wrong? Yes. When it becomes an obsession over God. Over God. More than God. Then she has a fourth son, and she's set free. She conceived again and bore a son, and said, "Now, I will praise the Lord. Said, Forget Jacob. I will look unto the mountains. Where does my help come from? Help comes from the Maker of heaven and earth. Judah means, praise. and through Judah will come Jesus. Eyes are off. Balance." Absolutely balance. We don't understand this. This entire Bible is a story of people who got messed up. Relationships, work, priorities, order, time. It's all our own issues, right? Our issues. Yet, how did Jesus come? John 16. Out of his fullness we have all received grace, Think about it, grace is the absolute power of the Holy Spirit which will achieve God's purpose in our life. Grace, this is said in past, meaning we have to experience it functionally. But he has given us grace upon grace. What's the first grace? Ephesians 2, I think it's 7 or 8. Yeah, by grace you have been saved through faith. What is the first grace I received? You received salvation. Saved by grace through faith. And when that happened, what happened? Look at First Peter chapter 2, verse 4 and 6. Coming to him as to a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious. You also as living stones are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Therefore, it is also contained in scripture... Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious. And he who believes on him will by no means be put to shame. When we went to him and he came to us, a stone was laid, the cornerstone. That is the first stone laid by grace. You were saved by grace. And after that, God is starting a building individually and corporately the church He's building. Look at Zechariah chapter 4, 1 to 5. Okay? I don't know whether we have time to finish it. Now the angel who talked with me came back and awakened me as a man who is wakened out of his sleep. He said to me, What do you see? I said, I am looking. It's a vision. Okay? I see a lampstand of solid gold with a bowl on top of it and the stand, seven lamps with seven pipes to the seven lamps. Two olive trees are by it, one at the right of the bowl and the other at its left. So I answered and spoke to the angel who talked with me, saying, what are these, my Lord? Okay, the answer is given further down. Verse, the angel who talked with me answered and said, do you not know what these are? I said, no, not. Go further down. Verses 11 onwards. Then I answered and said, what are these two olive trees? the right hand of the lamb stand at his left and a father answered and said to him what are these two olive branches that drip into the receptacles of the two gold pipes from which the golden oil drains it's interesting okay there is this light over there there is this ball over there this olive tree over there and from the olive tree the oil is dripping and going and feeding the lamb and the light is forever burning What is this? These are the two anointed ones who stand beside the Lord of the whole earth. We didn't get it, right? Go back towards 6 onwards. 6, yeah. So he answered and said to me, This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. The work which you do will not be done by you. It will be done by you. It will be my power. When you look, this is what you see. Verse 7. Who are you, O great mountain, before Zerubbabel? You shall become a plain. He shall bring forth what? The capstone, not the cornerstone. Now it is a finishing stone. Like if you are looking at a pyramid, the final stone, it is done. The capstone, with what? Shouts of? What was the cornerstone? Grace. What is the capstone? He says, every work that will be done by my son through you will be the work of grace so that no man will boast. That is why we get offended when somebody criticizes us because it is not the work of grace. It is our work. Go further. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundations of this temple. His hands also shall finish it. Then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. Zerubbabel is a type of Christ. He laid, he finishes. The entire work is the work of God alone. Out of his fullness, we have received grace upon grace upon grace. So the message, the flesh will not like, because it is death to the flesh. And, who has despised the day of small things? These seven rejoice to see the plumb line in the hand of Zerubbabel, the seven-eyed Holy Spirit. The plumb line is in the hand. Once the work is finished of grace, he will put the plumb line and he will look at it and says, what? Perfect. Who are you? Perfect. In Christ. If it is a work of grace and grace is allowed to finish its work in us, it is perfect. Who stands in the way? The flesh. The flesh stands in the way. That's why Jesus said about His messages. The flesh profits nothing. Nothing. Because what is He building? He's building a spiritual house. If I were to say here, Deepika, I'll give you five steps from scripture how to be a hot shot lawyer. She will perk up. Right? For each one. Hannah. New company. Six steps how to become the CEO. Or somebody else. Four steps how to start a s- startup. Boy. Everybody's attention is now there. Right? That's not the gospel. The gospel is not to your body and your flesh. The gospel is to Christ in you. And we cannot change the gospel. And I will not change the gospel. We will not build a church on false messages. Let him build. Bible says in the book of Acts. He added. He added. Let him add. One, two, three, four. Take some out. Bring some in. And you also have to search your own heart. What are you longing for? What are you searching for? When you read scripture, what are you looking for? Yet grace is available to walk free of anything. Anything. Whatever you are struggling with. You go to Christ. And say, Lord, the Christ in me doesn't do this. You're addicted? Christ is not an addict. You're lazy? Christ is not lazy. My father and I have been at work from the beginning and are still working. He's not lazy. Have an issue with order? Let there be order in my courts. You ask and appeal to the Christ in you and you will see grace flowing. The problem is we are asking for grace to do our own fleshly works so that we will have prominence in this society. He was a man who was despised, a man of sorrows, but highly exalted in heaven. And he has the name above every other name. But here he had no name. Be very careful how you use faith and grace because he is building something in us. And That day, the Christ that is the hope of our glory will be revealed. And as Paul said, and the saints said, as stars differ in glory, so will the saints. Even if the Christ in you is baby Christ alone, when he's displayed, he still has glory, because he was born king. But if he's fully grown, when you stand up, Christ is fully grown in you, the elders will throw the crowns at your feet, because they know that is Christ in his fullness. You died completely, and he alone was alive. You want glory? You want a name? You want a reputation? All the things people look for? God says, choose me. Eyes haven't seen, no ears heard, but God is preparing for those who love him. Amen? Shall we stand? Father, this morning, we just thank you. First Sunday, Lord. Of this new year, 2020 vision, Lord. We need clarity. Your word says, fix your eyes on Christ Jesus. Not even on Moses, not on the law. You said Moses was faithful in the entire house of the Lord, but as a servant. Because that's what the law makes us a slave or servant. But Jesus was faithful in the house of God as a son. And we are standing here today not as servants under the law. But sons under grace of God. But you demand from both that faithfulness to you Lord. That loyalty, that faithfulness to put you above everybody else in our life. That is salvation. That is liberty. That is liberty. And I pray, Father, we will experience that liberty more and more and more. You will unclog our ears that we hear you clearly. You will anoint our eyes, O God, O Father, that we may see clearly. And we pray you will cleanse and anoint our tongue with fire, O God, that we will have that word to speak, that will lift the weary and give a hope to those who are downtrodden, Lord, because it is not us, but it is you who will speak through us, O God. Thank you, thank you, Father. Everyone, what was prophesied about Jeremiah, and we spoke about the babies, is true for everyone standing here. Because Christ is the prophet to the nations. And there is Christ in us, O Lord. Through the law, through Moses, you gave the promise. There I will give you another one, a prophet just like me. And you will listen to him. We have been given that prophet greater than Moses Christ himself, Lord. And he lives in us. I pray that Christ will keep growing and growing and growing. And that Christ is always a prophet to the nations. And I pray that prophetic call, there will be clarity in the eyes and the lives of your children, Lord. That after hearing this message, they will not wander back to the flesh and to the world that they will stay with Christ through this day, through this week, through this month. Truly able to sing from their heart in Christ alone. Thank you. Thank you, Father. Thank you. We bless your holy name, Lord, in thy house. We bless your holy name. We bless your holy name. And we proclaim and we confess with our lips, thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever and ever. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. By the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit rest and abide with each one of us. Amen and amen.